Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us about the more that Pharaoh did and the more that God did. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org. Father, we come to you this day because you are the great enlightener. We are the ones who are blind. You are the one who gives sight. So we come to you, Lord, asking you for the sight to be able to see clearly the Lord Jesus Christ, our wonderful God, our Savior, in this book of Exodus, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, please follow along here as uh, we read in Exodus chapter 1, starting with verse 12. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. And they were grieved because of the children of Israel. And the Egyptians made the children of Israel to serve with rigor. And they made their lives bitter with hard bondage and mortar and in brick and in all manner of service in the field. All their service wherein they made them serve was with rigor. And the king of Egypt spake to the Hebrew midwives, of which the one was Shifra and the name of the other was Pua. And he said, when you do the office of a midwife to the Hebrew women and see them upon the stools, if it be a son, then you shall kill him. But if it be a daughter, then she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not, as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the men children alive. And the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said unto them, Why have you done this thing and have saved the men children alive? And the midwives said unto Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not as the Egyptian women, for they are lively and are delivered ere the midwives come in unto them. Therefore God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and waxed very mighty. And it came to pass, because the midwives feared God, that he made them houses. And Pharaoh charged all his people, saying, Every son that is born you shall cast into the river, and every daughter you shall save alive. Now, so far, what we've seen here is Pharaoh in a first move to stop the growth, the population explosion of the Jewish people. And what we've seen is how Pharaoh slandered the Jewish people, and he generated this feeling of distrust and hatred and anti-Semitism in the hearts of the Egyptian people. But that did not work. And so what we have here now is Pharaoh coming to see that he could not discourage away the Jewish people. And the first measure that he had taken in order to rid himself and rid the country of the Jewish people didn't work. Because God was behind verse 12 where it says, and this is a very important verse in this first chapter, but the more they afflicted, them, the more they multiplied and grew, and they were grieved because of the children of Israel. So verse 12 introduces for us an issue. What's the issue? It's the issue of the more and the more. The more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. So as far as increasing in population, the Egyptian persecution was the best thing for the Jewish people. Why? Because Who was behind the second, the more, of verse 12? Pharaoh was behind the first, the more, the more they afflicted them in verse 12. But God was behind the second, the more, in verse 12, the more they multiplied and grew. 
So this creates the issue of the more and the more. And Pharaoh, being behind the first the more, with his affliction, he couldn't understand the second the more, because the unseen God was behind the second the more of the multiplying and the growing. And the point here is that God's the more was larger than Pharaoh's the more. And it's always that way. God's the more is always larger than man's the more. So since this was a a contest between Pharaoh and God, only Pharaoh didn't realize that. So every time Pharaoh and the Egyptians would increase their the more affliction, God would see that the more that the Pharaoh and the Egyptians had made, and he would raise it even higher with more multiplying and growing. So the Egyptian persecution was the best thing that ever could have happened to the Jewish people as far as making them to expand and to grow into a large people. So Pharaoh and the Egyptians were playing against God. It's not a good thing to play against God. That's a bad thing because they didn't realize why there was this issue of the more and the more. The issue of the more and the more was just to them astounding. To everybody who saw it, it was astounding. The Jewish people, they saw the issue of the more and more. Pharaoh and the Egyptians, they also saw the issue of the more and more. And verse 12 describes now Their response, Pharaoh and the Egyptians' response, how they felt when they saw this issue of the more and more. And it says in verse 12 that they were grieved. They were grieved. That word caused an angst with Egyptians and the Pharaoh. They were anxious over this, that their plan had failed. And not only had it failed, it had failed so miserably that it seemed that their plan was actually accomplishing the opposite of their intended goal. And this deeply troubled them. This deeply troubled the Egyptians as they saw what was actually going on. They're trying to stop the Jewish people from multiplying, and instead they're even growing larger. What was the problem? The problem was what Pharaoh and the Egyptian people thought was the reason for this. See, and this is why the word because is very important in verse 12. See, verse 12 says, but the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew, and they were grieved because, and what follows is all important. It says, because of the children of Israel. Pharaoh and the Egyptians were grieved because their plan to stop the population growth of the Jewish people wasn't working, and they were grieved because of the children of Israel. They thought that the reason their plan was not working was because the children of Israel. They didn't realize that the reason their plan was not working was because of God. They were blind to the fact that God was behind this multiplying and growing of the Jewish people. They couldn't see that. And if they could have seen it, then verse 12 would have read like this. They were grieved because God was making the children of Israel to multiply and grow. And if the Egyptians had just opened their eyes and sat back and realized this is not explainable, 
by human explanation what's happening here. If they just would have concluded God was in the reason behind this multiplication here, this blessing to the Jewish people, then they would have saved their whole country from being devastated. Because what this book of Exodus is going to play out is it's going to play out to be a devastation of the strongest, most powerful country in the world they're all because they were wrong in verse 12 and what was the cause of this more in terms of multiplying and growing of the jewish people they thought it was because of the children of israel you know many people today make that a mistake and they see the more there are nobel prize winners the more there are contributions to the arts the more this country seems to produce this small little sliver of land seems to produce and supply so many fruits and vegetables into europe and into the middle east and so forth and and there's just a blessing which is taking place on the jewish people why And people make the mistake that Pharaoh did. And he said, well, it's because of them. It's because of the Jewish people. Not at all. It's because of God is behind the blessing. And so they didn't realize that. And it's not a good thing to set themselves, for anybody to set themselves against God's people. Why? Because God comments on what it's like when a person or a group, as such as the Egyptians, set themselves against God's people, the Jewish people. And the comment is made in Zechariah 2.8, where God says, He that toucheth you toucheth the apple of his eye. In other words, the prophet is speaking about God. And he's saying to the Jewish people, so picture this now, the prophet of God is speaking to the Jewish people on behalf of God. And he's saying, he that toucheth you touches the apple of God's eye. The eye we know is the most sensitive part in the body. And whoever touches the eye gets our attention. Just take your finger, for example, and just slowly bring it to your eye. And as you see that object slowly come into your eye, you're already responding and you're starting to squint. And then as it touches the eye, it gets your attention. You back up and you do everything to stop that because it's the sensitive part of your body. And God says, that's exactly the picture of how I view those who come against the Jewish people. God said, whoever touches my people, the Jewish people, is like touching my eye, and immediately it gets my attention. Now, in other words, God's saying that when a group or a person begins to approach with hatred in their heart, the Jewish people, God says, it's just like a finger coming toward my eye. It gets my attention, and so forth. So at this point, it would have been good for Pharaoh and the Jewish people just to have sat down and recognized You know, there's an issue here. There's an issue of the more and the more. And this issue of the more of the more can't be explained on human terms. God has to be behind this. And if they would have realized when they were thinking they were just fighting against the Jewish people, but if they would have realized, oh, it's much more than that. We're fighting against the hand of God. But all Pharaoh sees in his secular view is that his first plan to diminish the number of Jewish people has failed. 
And now Pharaoh seems to just need some time to come up with plan B. So while he's thinking of his plan B, while he's percolating it through his mind, while he's trying to put together what some brilliant idea that will be a failsafe that will certainly not fail, we have verses 13 and 14 during this interim time while he's thinking it through. And verse 13 says, And the Egyptians made the children of Israel to serve with rigor, and they made their lives bitter with hard bondage and mortar and in brick and in all manner of service in the field. All their service they made them serve was with rigor. So during this interim time, they have really put the pressure on the Jewish people. If there was any thought in the minds of anyone as to the intention of the Egyptian people, it's brought out right here. In other words, if the Jewish people sat down, they said to themselves, you know, maybe once we get to know them, that they'll like us and we're really not that bad of people. We have some customs which are different. All right, maybe we can gain their heart of compassion. We'll have a little tolerance and we'll be able to live together. Pharaoh had a bad day. He came up with the bad idea. These treasure cities that he wanted us to build. All right, so maybe, you know, let's cut him a little slack. Everybody can, why don't we, can't we just live together? Can't we just get along? If there was any thought of that, verses 13 and 14 made it crystal clear this was not going to have a good ending as far as the relationship between the Egyptians and the Jewish people. Because during this time when he's thinking about this, the Egyptians have really put the hard squeeze on the Jewish people. And it says they made them serve with rigor. In other words, squeezing them. It says they made their lives bitter with hard bondage. There wasn't, you know, well, we'll give you a 15-minute break after two hours of work and only have you work eight hours a day. No, nothing like that. It was as hard as they could make it. And mortar and brick and all manner of service in the field, as it says, they made them serve with rigor. It's really a picture for us as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. If there's any question at all, as to whether or not we can just get along with Satan, whether or not we can just give each other a wide berth. When we read verses like this and show that the true colors of the Egyptian people against the Jewish people were coming out in verses 13 and 14, therefore, that's a real lesson to us. There's no peace with Satan. There's no let's just get along. There's no he goes our way, we go our way. He stays out of our way, we stay out of our way. Not at all. There is a hatred on the part of Satan and the devil and the demons against the Lord Jesus Christ and against the people of the Lord Jesus Christ and really against all created man because they were created by him. And this is really a picture that we have for us in verses 13 and 14. So, but anyway, this is the interim time, verses 13 and 14. And now during this time of Pharaoh's frustration because his first plan wasn't working, but he doesn't give up. Pharaoh doesn't give up. Oh, no, not Pharaoh. He's smarter than the average bear. And finally, Pharaoh comes up with plan B. Plan B. And that picture there of Pharaoh struggling to make his goal work, totally disregarding the fact that there was something supernatural with the issue of the more and the more. He was fighting against God but he wasn't going to see that. If we just capture that picture there, it's very instructive for us because it's a picture of 
us in our lost state, of man in his lost state. We thought, lost man thinks, that the only problems that he has in life and what happens to him can be explained on the horizontal and that he can figure it out. He never considers for one minute that he might be fighting against God. That's the picture of Saul who became the Apostle Paul. Paul in his lost state, Paul is fighting but he doesn't realize he's fighting against God. Paul is struggling, but he doesn't realize he's struggling against God. That's why when God addressed Paul for the first time directly in Acts chapter 9, verse 5, he said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. It's hard for thee to kick against the thorns. God told Paul that every time he struggled and he kicked, it was as if Paul with his bare leg was kicking against a thorn bush and all he was doing was driving the thorns deeper and deeper into his legs. In fighting against God, Pharaoh was just kicking and driving the thorns deeper and deeper into his legs. And whenever a lost man fights in this life against what seems to be the problems of life and he's running away from God, all he's doing is kicking and driving the thorns deeper and deeper into the leg. We see this here with Pharaoh, and finally, Pharaoh seems to come up with plan B. Plan B, it's a diabolical plan. It's a plan of a selective brutality and violence against the most helpless, vulnerable segment of the Jewish population newborn male babies. And as for this plan, he will use his power, his authority, and he will use this to intimidate. He is the great Pharaoh, but he will use this to intimidate into submission. Who? The nobody class in the Jewish population, the Jewish midwife women. And he's figured Pharaoh has figured that with this plan, he can now finally arrive at the long-term solution to assure that there will be no future generations from this point forward, Pharaoh's thinking of the Jewish people. So see how verse 15 opens, very significant. Verse 15 opens with the words, and the king of Egypt. With those words, we can just now feel how Pharaoh has made himself to look, to appear before these poor Jewish midwife women. They were nothing in standing in front of the most powerful man on the earth. This isn't a case of the President of the United States with the balance of power where he has to work with Congress. No, no, no. There is no balance of power in Egypt. There is power in one man, in Pharaoh. He was the law. And so when it starts off in verse 15, and the king of Egypt, that's expressing the great power and authority that he sees in himself. In verse 15, and the king of Egypt spake 
to the Hebrew midwives. It's just with the picture that's painted there. The king of Egypt on one side. And who are these others? Slave women, the Hebrew midwives. So in Pharaoh's mind, he's thinking, oh, this plan's going to work. Because there's no question that these two insignificant slave women here, Jewish women, midwives, no question they will obey my instructions, which were, one, when you are in the seclusion of the birthing room, when the mother is in her weakest point, having just given birth, when there is confusion all around, then he says, you will Look carefully, and when you see a male baby, you will quietly remove that baby, and you will kill that baby. But not all the babies shall be killed in his plan. No, 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 no. Because the king of Egypt had carefully instructs the Jewish midwives that when they do the office of the midwife, that they are to look carefully at the baby. Examine it. And if it's a male... Only if it's a male, they were to kill it. But the female, they were to let the females live. Let the sound of the cry of the female babies fill the room. Then Pharaoh is thinking that when the females grow up, there will only be Egyptian men for them to marry. And so they'll become Egyptian. And they will melt into the fabric of the rest of the Egyptian families in the land. So in the next generation, there'll be no more Jewish families. There'll be no more Jewish children. Because with all those Jewish women becoming, through marriage, Egyptians, they'll just be an expansion of the Egyptian population. And Pharaoh thinks to himself, that's a wonderful idea because I have now just killed two birds with one stone. The first problem, stop the population's explosion of the Jewish people. That I've accomplished. And the second, cause a bonus, an explosion in the Egyptian people by this plan. And he thinks to himself, brilliant, brilliant. And we can just picture Pharaoh there. He's toasting himself for the brilliance of this plan B. And Pharaoh has the whole situation under control. And walking around, we can just see him there walking around, congratulating himself. And everything is going great, except for one minor problem. It's just that old issue of the more and the more. The old issue of God. And he's totally ruled that out. And so this is what we're going to see happen here and more frustration. All right, so now we come in verse 15. And we have now coming on to the stage, God's stage, the history of the Jewish people here, we have two wonderful women, wonderful ladies, wonderful women of God who now appear. And these ladies will honor God. They will honor God. And what's going to occur with these women is that God is going to take notice of how they honor God, and then God is going to live up good and true to his promise in 1 Samuel 2.30, where he said, Them that honor me, I will honor. Them that honor me, I will honor. And these two women will honor God, and God will honor them. And God starts his honoring of them. Why? How? 
by having their names, having them be so honored that their names, they're not just two women, but God says, honor those women and their names are given here in verse 15. And it's a wonderful thing as we see this here. The name of the first was Shifra and the name of the other, Pua, engraved into the word of God for eternity, the two names, them that honor me, I will honor. You can't over honor as far as God is concerned. You honor me, I'll honor you a hundred times more than you've honored me because that's the way God does it. We can imagine that there must have been some sort of organization of Jewish midwives at that time. These two ladies are probably the director of the Jewish Midwives Association. And they're wonderful women. Now, the first thing we see about these women is that we know nothing about them. They're two very brave women. They've got a lot of courage. They're women of God, but they just appear suddenly on the stage. We don't have any information about their families. We don't even know which tribes they came from. We don't know whatever became of them after this. All we have is this section of Scripture in the last part of chapter 1 that's devoted to them. But these two women of God are very typical, like many people on the pages of Scripture. Special lives whom the Spirit of God as the great spotlight operator, and the Spirit of God chooses to move the spotlight now uh, to highlight for us these two important women. This is heaven's spotlight. And heaven's spotlight now has now come down as these two women are recognized for their time of opportunity in their lives, when they were brought into the kingdom for such a time as this. And these ladies then appear. Thank you for joining us today. Now, would you like to order any of Tom Cantor's resources or materials? Or would you like to reach a lost Jewish person? Or would you even like to get our resource of the month about understanding the Jewish Messiah? Tom Cantor's book, you can get all of these things by going to friendshipwithgod.org or you can call us today at 1-800-247-3051. That's 1-800-247-3051. Call us today, 1-800-247-3051. Thanks for listening and join us again tomorrow.